0: Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Tonight I'm joined by our friend, freelance writer and and shut-up-and-sit-down co-host, Paul Dean. Paul, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you very much. Hello.
0: Together at last, after all those weeks of us passing like ships in the night.
1: Well, Troy had me on, but you, you weren't around for some reason, so...
0: It, it, it was not quite my beat, uh, and I was taking, I, w- I was enjoying a rare, a, a rare week off, uh, without just taking the show dark, uh, which happened again last week due to some uh, recording issues. Me being in Stockholm, I was not able to assemble a show. Uh, so apologies for the gaps, uh, for the gap in uh, episodes, listeners. Uh, we're back this week, and we're back for uh, a long time to come. But for tonight, we're going to be talking about Space 4X games. Earlier this week, I said that what I really want is a Space 4X from someone who knows Master of Orion was overrated and that most games in this genre aren't very good, uh, I don't think. But I was kind of inundated by people asking me what the hell I meant and defending the first two Master of Orion games. Uh, Obviously, I was not talking about Master of Orion 3. Everyone knows that's a dog. Uh, But... You know, I got a lot of pushback, and uh, Paul here was so incensed uh, that he flipped every table in his house, so I thought perhaps we should talk it over before blood was shed.
1: Well, Uh, to be fair, I only have one table in my house, so...
0: Okay, so it wasn't actually like a full-on tantrum, it was just you tipped over a table? It was
1: just a typical day for me, to be honest.
0: Yeah. It's just kind of what you do in the evening. Of course. Of course. Yeah so t- to be clear about sort of my objection uh in in no way I was not saying that master of orion either one or two are necessarily bad games Uh, but i do feel that within the history of the genre it kind of feels like everything since then has been sort of trying to cover the same territory sort of recapture the magic that was uh master of orion and master of orion 2 and i kind of suspect that there's a bit of uh you know, just just a bit of rose-colored, uh, you know, glasses b- between where we are now and what Master of Orion and Master of Orion Two really were. Now, in Three Moves Ahead, we did sort of a classic game analysis of uh, Master of Orion. We you know, were surprised at how well they held up. But you know, as I think about it more, I kind of, I kind of wonder if one of the reasons they hold up so well is because the space Vorex genre is still so uh, bound to what was going on in Master of Orion. So. I just I find this a frustrating. I find this a frustrating space, a frustrating, frustrating genre, and that's kind of what I want to talk about this week. Uh, and and Paul, I know we were talking before the show, and you mentioned well, you like Master Ryan. You also mentioned that this is a this is an area where you find yourself a little disappointed frequently.
1: Well, the thing is, I I would kind of agree with you. I. I've enjoyed a lot of 4X games in my time. I got very into them in the early 90s where I felt they they really took off. Obviously, we had Civilization, we had Master of Orion a little bit later, we had Master of Magic, and it does feel like after that idea was born, it hasn't actually progressed that much in, I suppose, what's 20 years, which is a remarkable amount of time, but... Um, it feels a little bizarre to me now that we have John Schaefer with Enemy at the Gate saying, Hey, there is this problem with forex games, I'm trying to um, revolutionize the genre. Um, when really, I would have thought someone might be saying that 15 years ago, to be quite frank with you.
0: No, I, I would agree. And, you know, so I was, I was, so I was playing Master of Orion 1 today because I actually never did play much of that. I played more Master of Orion 2 when we went back and uh, looked at those game f- games for classic game analysis. Uh... I think actually we skipped over Master Ryan entirely and just went to two and talked about Master of Magic as well. Uh, but so was, uh, so playing Master of, Master Ryan one, I started thinking about something that uh, our friend Bruce Garrick uh, talks a lot about on this show and uh, in some of his writings, which is that you know in the early in the in the early nineties uh, of, of PC game design, you had a very sort of. Uh, you had sort of a virtuous limitation in what game designers could attempt to do. Uh, the hardware was such that you know, you were simply limited in how complicated you could make your game. You were limited in how big it could be. You were limited in how many systems could be, you know, sort of operating behind the scenes and calculating how your game works. And I think Master Ryan, I was playing that today, and it's actually, you know, quite, uh, you know, a lovely, simple little game uh you know uh, the economy is you know the, the economy is almost non-existent it's it's really it's a really simple uh resource allocation question you've got to answer and that and that's really it but what it got me thinking about is just what master ryan you know, was fundamental about is you start in one one solar system, you go out, you explore other systems, you colonize planets, you run into some other races, you fight battles, maybe you win, maybe you lose, that's it. And I kind of feel like, you know, in 20 years, what you have is not so much people sort of questioning whether you should do something different from that or different ways you can tell that story. What you have a lot more of instead are, I want to make that game, but with a whole lot of other stuff sort of bolted on. I want it to be bigger, more sprawling, uh, more complicated. And I sometimes think that, you know, you're, you're seeing a lot of things added to the genre, but not always, not always critically is kind of how it feels to me. Like, sometimes I feel like this is a genre sort of defined by uh, sprawl and bloat.
1: Well, you know, it's interesting that you say that, because although I... I disagree with you about Master of Orion in one or two ways. I'd agree that that's a problem with the genre. Uh, and that's a problem we've had for, like I said, about the last 20 years. People very much want to build on the system. They want to build on the idea. I'm not so sure they want to actually go back to the core elements and reevaluate evaluate them. Um, the thing was ma- with Master of Orion is I think it was actually, although you say very simple, I think it was very tightly designed. So the systems in there work together very well. It's fair enough that the economy is uh, incredibly simple, but I think for a game with very limited uh, hardware at the time, we had a lot to do in terms of research. Um, I think the designers of the game had to be incredibly economical with what they actually threw in there. I, I feel like a lot of the decisions I make when I play really matter. What I decide to research, what I decide to invent really matters. Uh, even the, the races that I play are all very, although, you know, they really only have one sort of major difference between them, I think they're all significant differences. I think for a, a game that had very, again, very limited um, hardware to run it on, there was really a lot to play around with and a lot to choose.
0: Well, yeah, and I, I, di- I certainly didn't mean uh, simple in a pejorative sense. I think that one of the things that, you know, I would I would argue sort of defines PC strategy games at this time. A lot of different PC games at this time. Uh, this is a point that Bruce Carrick has brought up: is that you know, if you if you couldn't simply throw more math uh, at a game, if you simply couldn't throw more scale at it. Uh, certainly couldn't throw a lot more in the way of graphics, what you had to do was just sort of focus on making that design, uh, you know, as, as dense and elegant uh, as possible. And I think with Master of you do have a bit of that going on. And certainly I was, uh, you know, you brought up the research, you, you brought up the research system, which I really did quite like. Uh, it reminded me a lot of European Universalis III, uh, actually, which is in, in the sort of way that you don't so much pick... It's not like civilization where you have a research tree. Research is ongoing constantly, and it's really a question of where you throw the balance of most of your research efforts. And that turns into sort of a fascinating... um, I don't know. The the way it, the way it almost feels is like uh you you're like steering a train or something. You know, it's a lot of like gears and levers and such and sort of trying to figure out, you know, which track you're going to throw yourself onto and how much speed to give it uh to to make sure that your uh technological progress is both balanced but you're making you're getting what you need. Uh so so I think there the, there's there's quite a lot of cool things about that. The, another thing I really loved was uh and this is this is something that I I, I that I think a lot of space games since have sort of cheated their way past. Master of Orion has this really cool thing where once ships are committed to a jump, once they're committed to traveling a different distance to our system, they're beyond control. You know, you, you get the sense that the fleet is launched and they're gone. You can't, you can't touch them.
1: Yes, and they may they may be gone for half a dozen turns as well. I think at the very end of the game, there might be a technology that reverses that. But yeah, once they're on on their way, they are, you know, out of range, out of communication.
0: Well, in the in the, the first few pages of the manual, the game warns you that uh, you know you could be careful about when you sign a peace treaty, right? Because you might sign a peace treaty and then a fleet shows up that was launched before the peace treaty, and suddenly it's attacking uh, the person you just signed uh, a treaty with. Which is, it's just kind of this, it's this, you know, cool and really classic uh, sci-fi dilemma, right? If you ever, uh, have you ever read a book called The uh,
1: Forever War? I haven't, but I've heard of it.
0: Right, The Forever War is kind of a... Um, you know, post-Vietnam, uh, like sort of a reaction to Starship Troopers in some ways. Uh, and it's basically about what interstellar conflict would look like with time dilation and people sort of, you know, you go off on a campaign that lasted six months, but you come back and, you know, 30 years have passed on Earth. Uh, so it's, you know, it's it's kind of an interesting book, but I kind of like that Master of Orion, you have the sense that, You know, the challenge of the distance in space and the amount of planning you have to do to account for it uh, is really quite cool. And, you know, I kind of feel like a lot of the games I play uh, where they sort of, you know, in order to give you a sense for how big space is and how... uh, you know, difficult interstellar travel is. Their solution is just make things ridiculously far apart, make the you know galaxy map huge, uh, and there now you've got the grandeur of space done. Whereas I kind of like the way Master of Orion sort of has this you know design solution into it.
1: It does have to some degree. I think that's a very interesting element. At the same time, um, Master of Orion has the option to create, I think, an absolutely enormous galaxy to playing. Mm-hmm. I mean there's I think there's five different galaxy size settings. And I think the largest is absolutely tedious and it suffers from the problem that many 4X games do that when you upscale them, when you decide I'm going to play on a massive planet or in a massive uh massive galaxy, massive universe, it just becomes micromanagement hell at about sort of the mid game because you're managing whether they're colonies or planets depending on whatever game you're doing. You're just managing something enormous and sprawling and it turns into bureaucracy and really a sort of a simulation of paperwork maybe that's me maybe that's my personal preference but I, i tend to like to play games in tighter smaller spaces rather than creating these big lumbering things
0: well, this is, you know, that's that's something I absolutely agree with, and I think that's a problem with a lot of PC strategy games, uh, not just the genre, but sort of, you know, it's sort of a thread that runs throughout, uh, this this idea that, you know, well, how, you know, you want to design a game, what do you do? Well, make it bigger, uh, you know, turn it up to 11. And, uh, you know, certainly I, I, I think we both, you know, you and I both play a fair number of board games, and we're used to sort of seeing... Uh, you know, slightly more, slightly tighter, more innovative uh, solutions to the problem of, like, you know, how do you model this system? How do you create this dynamic? I think PC games tend to be very literal about how they do that.
1: Well, I, I definitely don't think that uh, a solution to anything is to make it bigger or to make more of it. I don't think that is really a solution to, to most things in games. And we might have that attitude, say, with graphics, where, right, we'll make everything shinier for the second or the third. Or fourth iteration in uh this strategy series or the shooter series or whatever but really there's there's not much to be said for just making someone do something more often
0: no and i think one thing that i don't care for in the forex genre and you know i i should be clear like i really am talking about just about every damn game i played uh, in this space, like, you know, thinking back to games like Ascendancy. Uh, you know, right now I'm playing Star Drive for a review. Uh, I played Endless Space last year. Uh, you know, I've toyed a bit around... You know, I, I played Distant Worlds, uh, you know, a couple years ago. Uh, it's a Matrix, uh, Sephoric strategy game. Uh, there's Galactic Civilizations. You know, kind of running throughout these games, I, I, do, I, I do kind of feel... Like they're like they're all sort of playing like they're all sort of playing into this. Well, it's about space, and so it's got to be huge, and there's got to be a ton of stuff in it. Uh, and eventually, what it just feels is like playing the playing an incredibly loose game of civilization almost, uh, where where it's just where you know it's just a question of. Pushing borders farther out, and really the big challenge is uh, kind of what you were talking about a moment ago, Paul. Where, you know, your empire just hits this point where your challenge is staying on top of everything, because the entire thing's become really kind of tedious to run.
1: Well, exactly, and I've never really understood the appeal of that. I mean, I I, I encountered that in in the Civilization games as well. I would always prefer to play with a smaller world because. I don't really want to end up running about 30 or 40 cities because that's 30 or 40 build queues that I have to go through every couple of turns. And it it takes me away from all the interesting choices in the game, which are the choices of expansion and diplomacy. You still have, um, you know, about the same amount of diplomatic decisions or, or about the same amount of other things to do. You just have more cities to manage. You have more sort of administration. And I don't think administration is really a very exciting concept for a game.
0: No, certainly not. Certainly not a game in the forex space where it's really sort of about imperial competition, um, a mixture of diplomacy and warfare. And yes, administration is a part of that. Uh, but, you know, really what kind of drives the action is you know build you know building a military industrial science complex uh that's going to sort of uh overpower your neighbors or at least leave you kind of uh you know able to defend yourself but with a lot of these games the 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 scale of it does just eventually turn into look you got 50 different colonies on fifth, like 50 different planets star systems whatever uh you know they all have <laughs> you know they're they're all interchangeable they all have fake names it's space uh so everything has this really generic feel of location right like geography almost feels non-existent oh here's a different node uh sitting in a in a pitch black field uh yes. there you go do you feel like it's space great and it you know there's this i i guess one thing I really don't care for about like space forex games i always always feel the sort of disappointment or I feel a bit crestfallen crestfallen, when I start a game, I start exploring space and lo and behold, it's the exact same, you know, 4X galaxy that I've explored, you know, that I've been exploring for about 15, 20 years now.
1: Well, this is, uh, this is something I was actually going to bring up myself soon. This is a problem that I think all space games have is the geography doesn't exist. The terrain doesn't exist in that same interesting way that it does in something like civilization or even Master of Magic, where you feel much more tied to the terrain. You feel much more like it channels where you explore, what you discover. Um, you know, you may not be able to be a, a seafaring civilization yet, so that that option is out the window. Or your city being based next to a source of iron or silver or something, that will determine what you're able to do. Uh, To some degree, if you're a designer of a Forex space game, you have to find another way to fill in those gaps by saying, right, this is a system that is rich in uh, rare minerals. So this uh, planetary system allows you to design these things. You have to create more of a fiction. And I think that alienates some players to some degree, whereas we can all relate to being earthlings a lot better. And we all understand exactly what it means when we have a city next to a mountain by a river in an inlet of some kind. Does that make sense to you?
0: No, it, it, it absolutely does. In this sort of sense that... Well, okay, so to give you an example from this game I'm playing right now, Star Drive, uh, which... Is not is not a bad game. Like you know, it's it's probably going to end up getting uh you know sort of a middling review, uh you know this sort of classic for people who love games exactly like this. Uh, here's another fine game for your
1: collection. So you're saying it certainly doesn't push any boundaries anywhere.
0: Not really. What I like the most about it, perhaps, uh, is that it does the uh, sort of uh, what what our producer Michael Hermes has called the uh, paradox pause, right? It's pausable continuous time uh, that you can speed up and slow down at will and pause. It's you know it's kind of a nice change of pace. So the problem that I've run into with this game, uh, not not so much a problem, it's just here it's an example of how we don't necessarily create interesting geography uh, from from the stars. Is that you know so you go out exploring and looking for worlds. To colonize, and in general, uh, what you have the the worlds that make the absolute most sense to grab uh, are terran style planets, uh, you know, maybe some oceanic planets, uh, you know, steppe planets, but basically something you know fairly easily habitable. Uh, but really, most of space is just you know rocks, you know, surrounding a dying star, and that's about it. You don't, you know, you'd be a fool that you'd be a fool to create a colony there, and. Where I run into problems is basically it turns into this sort of silly, uh, you know, inspect a bunch of star systems, find a habitable planet. Once you find one, race a colonist out there, you know, Put someone down right away, uh, and then you know watch it turn into a planet exactly like every other planet you've got. You know they all st- they all feel the same. You know it's simply the question of uh, you know this one maybe produces a little more food. This one you know can hold more people and is maybe a bit more industrial. Uh, but really quickly it's they're they're basically indistinguishable. Their location is indistinguishable. Uh, and what what you don't what you don't get a sense for is. You, you you do like you do not get a sense for this. This place has a unique role to play in my empire. Uh, there's there's not really a sense of like here's a here's a strategically vital location. There are no really strategically vital locations. Uh, you know, to its credit, it doesn't cheat by making it like node based uh, movement. You know, you can travel completely freely. Uh, you know, between star systems, it just sort of is a question of how much longer it will take you. Uh, you know, going through deep space, but yeah, it it just it just sort of feels like this entire thing sort of sprawls out, but I have no idea. I I have no sense for the value of one location over another, and it doesn't help that I think the AI uh, really aggressively goes and just you know colonizes planets for the hell of it, uh, but. Really, in most cases, what what this means is the AI empires are burdened with these, uh, you know, star systems that are basically struggling, you know, from the start to the end. They're, they're of no value whatsoever. It's a few settlers living on a barren rock. And it just becomes, well, you grabbed it so that you could sort of, you know, puddle your influence further out.
1: So do you feel, um, you know, there's a lack of variety and a lack of, I suppose, in that lack of variety, there's a lack of fiction in the in the world that you're playing in, there's nothing that distinguishes any place because it doesn't have any, I suppose, theme to it. It doesn't have any um, poetic elaboration, if you like.
0: I think yes, I think that's that's true. They they do some clever things, uh, well, sort of clever. There is a there are occasionally planets being guarded by um, what are called remnant forces and. They're kind of mysterious, and they're kind of the vestiges of a long-dead empire. So think, uh, you know, like if the Protheans left warships behind in the Mass Effect universe, uh, this is kind of what you'd be running into. And so there's sort of a mystery of the the remnant uh, that you sort of are trying to answer, and some of the planets have uh, relics that you need to visit. But usually this just turns into send some guys to inspect it, uh, fight a big space battle or land battle, and and again, then you're done. Uh, it's just it, it's just not it's just not terribly interesting. Uh, there's there's not a much theme,
1: and that seems strange because obviously science fiction presents all kinds of possibilities for variety and for inventing something completely different.
0: Yeah, and you know, it's this is I guess kind of what I mean about you know sort of the pernicious influence of the Master of Orion series, which is that a lot of games you see in the space, all they're taking from it are the basic the, the, the basic mechanics of like moving ships through space, like what colonization looks like, what a sprawling space umpire looks like. And what you don't see is a lot of attention being paid to how do you create flavor in this universe how do you make this you know if if space forks games are sort of you know an attempt to make you uh you know a figure on some sort of grand space space opera uh you know story uh you know why don't you know why why don't you see more efforts you know in that direction i felt like endless space last year ran to this problem uh even worse than star drive does uh just these you know you know, you go out and you go out in universe, and you discover it's you know all the worlds are dead, even
1: if they're inhabited. It's funny that you mention Master of Orion in that way because what I remember most, I think, from Master of Orion is the is the distinct races, is races who are somewhat asymmetrical. They all have a very distinct, different ability. They're very recognisable. You have a race like the, the Silicoids who can. Um, land on any planet without terraforming it, which is a very distinct power that no one else has, which is quite an advantage, but also comes with a disadvantage that their population growth is awful. Or you have space bears who are incredibly good at ground assaults, or you have uh, space cats who are incredibly good at flying their spaceships or or whatever. But I felt that um, one of the things that made Master of Orion interesting was it it was very easy to identify who was good at what, almost because they're archetypes. And if you played as as each race, especially at the start of any game, you had your distinct advantage that you needed to exploit and make the most of. And I don't know how many other games have picked up on that since. And I feel like that's something that's been lost to some degree. It's there. It's there in endless space. And they've obviously tried to create a fiction for their universe. What I think they've done is they've created a game that I enjoy. They've created a game with a very, very good interface. And a game that has a lot going on that's easy to understand, but I don't know if the game's fiction is is one of my is one of the most memorable memorable things in there for me.
0: Here's my question: because obviously, a lot of people who work in this genre do attempt to create some kind of fiction, but you know, uh, Endless Space, you know, has you know, um, you know, different factions with uh, you know. They don't succeed as characters, but there's at least an attempt to sort of create backstory. In Star Drive, there's definitely some attempt to, uh, you know, give the various races you encounter some personality, uh, you know, chiefly through the, the diplomatic screen. Uh, but why do, you, why do you think it so often fails, in the case of most Forex games, uh, to... Perhaps, you, you know, perhaps in some ways you answered it by, you know, sort of the meaningful bonuses people get in Master of Orion. But, you know, do you think that's really why uh, they, they sort of stand out as characters for you? You sort of take an interest in what goes on in this universe? Or is there more to it than that?
1: I th- Well, I think in the case of Master of Orion, they're very easily identifiable archetypes. Like a, a giant space bear is pretty uh, unambiguous. Um, yeah, I think there's... There's a failure in other games to do that. I'm immediately thinking about uh, Star Wars. I think it's called Supremacy or Rebellion, depending upon whether you live in Europe or the US. Yes, which I have was the. Uh, I think we called it Supremacy here, and it was the old uh, real-time thing that ran a little bit like Europa Universalis does, where you can alter the speed of the game. That was a game that I partly found easy to relate to just because I understood the Star Wars universe and fiction. I think if you pulled anyone in who didn't understand Star Wars, hadn't seen it, they wouldn't have a clue who the characters were, what the significance of any of the units was or what they were doing. Um, I think, yeah, I think Master of Orion painted quite broad strokes, which, uh, which helped a lot, but I mean, I'd I'd agree. A 4X game fundamentally takes you out of an area that you can immediately identify with. Whereas if you are playing Civilization, if you're playing even Europa Universalis, you are playing in a place where you know what the rules are, you know what to expect, you know what to expect from uh, inventions, from the terrain. You know that if you build a certain kind of ship, it's going to do something. You know that if you invent a certain kind of technology, that will have an effect. One of the criticisms I had of endless space for example is I had no idea really what any of the technologies were I knew what they led to I knew what I could make but in the fiction of the place I mean did they even need a name I could have just uh, clicked on something that said make lasers better I did not really need the flavor for that
0: oh my god and uh, by the way here let's just that that phenomenon right there uh, ties into one of my pet peeves uh, ship customization Stop making me customize ships. Really? Yes, because even if you do it well, and I I would argue that Star Drive kind of does ship customization well, like the layout of your ship and where you have armored bulkheads and such. This stuff, you know, will play a role in combat. But here's here's the problem with that. It will become a chore, uh, especially if you don't have an easy upgrade button uh, once once design changes, and especially because a lot of the weapons actually have different footprints uh, in the ship layout. So in Star Drive, what you have uh, is sort of a, uh, you know, you have the, the outline of your ship, and it's filled in with little squares. And some things just occupy one square, uh, but many of your larger weapons and such have a larger footprint, uh, sometimes an unusual footprint. Uh, and so, you know, when you un- when you unlock what basically amounts to lasers three, right? That's really what you've unlocked. It might be like phaser, disruptor, cannon, you know, whatever sci-fi gobbledygook you want. Uh, it is just lasers better, you know, guns better, missiles better. <laughs> yeah. And the act of trying to get those deployed to the field turns into just this excruciating like okay going back to the shipyard i'm going to bring my ent- my entire game to a halt here and i'm going to spend you know 30 minutes uh you know basically figuring out how to make this thing work and creating a new uh creating a new like a series of new templates for ships in my fleet, and then God help you if, like, very uh, like a couple turns later, uh, you discover, oh, I just unlocked uh, better missiles too, so now I've got to upgrade those weapon systems as well. It gets really tedious uh, really quickly, and Stardard doesn't help itself by making uh, things like having refits of existing designs. Uh, that that is easy. Getting those ships that have been refitted back into a fleet is not. You basically got to go back in your fleet organizing uh, screen and sort of manually drag them back to their proper position in the in the formation. But but my but more broadly, I feel like all sci-fi 4x games uh, and this goes back to Alpha Centauri uh, kind of fall into this trap of thinking well because it's all fanciful stuff and uh, you know. You know, it, it, it's, not like, it's not like human history where you have certain designs that worked and certain certain designs that didn't, right? Like, battleships eventually all became, uh, you know, descendants of the HMS Dreadnought. You know, a few main guns, most of the little guns were, you know, gotten rid of. A tank eventually looked like a German Panzer, and we still basically have that design, you know, today. Uh, but with, with sci-fi, there's kind of this, well, it's a blank slate, so you can just sort of take a chassis and then graft a whole bunch of crap onto it And won't this be fun because now you've, you've, you've created your own, your own starship, you've created your own fleet. And yeah, that's fun the first time. Uh, but when ultimately what you've done is create something that just does an extra hundred damage, uh, per hit, uh, and you have to spend, you know, you have to continuously return to revising that, uh, it gets a little old and yeah, yeah, there are like, you know, some prefab designs that come with the game, uh, they're terrible. They do not work. Uh, there's there's basic things that the game doesn't take into account uh, that make those designs wildly inefficient. So you really have to, if you want your fleet to be good, you have to go in and make it yourself.
1: First of all, uh, I think I'll try and go over what you've mentioned in, in a reverse order, because there's a lot there I agree with. I think, first of all, that The problem of not being able to use the pre-built designs or having an AI created design is, is a really serious problem. I've played other games where the AI is quite good at actually designing something for you. And that's a big help. And not having that there, I think is a major flaw Going back, though, I do generally like ship customization. I think it's an exciting concept. I like building things and sending them out to fight. However, what you're describing, again, sounds to me a lot like 4X game bureaucracy, where basically yes. you are suddenly repeatedly presented with uh, a task that that is essentially the same task every time. It's, it's a case of just updating something, but instead of updating a build queue, it's uh repainting a canvas, basically. You have your ship, you have a particular shape, and you sort of Tetris the components very slightly in a new way because you've got a slightly bigger engine. Um, I enjoyed that in Master of Orion because I felt the pacing of technology didn't have me doing that all the time. I could go through several technology steps before I had to revise my fleet, and because as you go through the game some of the technologies are quite markedly different and do interesting things like you start to get tractor beams you start to get particular kind of lasers or shields um, i felt that those were almost sort of meta gaming, and so there's a reason to redesign a ship and throw those in because you're going to build a very different ship but if it is just a case of lasers plus one lasers plus two shields level four that is just uh, bureaucracy, again, to me. That's just a very systematic, very repetitive process, and that's very tiring very quickly.
0: Hang on. So for me, when I encounter ship customization, it's almost always in the context of a Space 4X game. Yeah. Where have you seen it done really well?
1: I'd say the original Master of Orion did it well. I think from what I remember, and it's been a while, I remember enjoying it in Ascendancy as well, i did as well possibly because um everything in ascendancy feels a bit smaller it felt like a game with fewer planets fewer races the ships themselves i'm sure there were fewer components to choose and you know there was uh less space in your ship to put things in and that made you think more about what you did and i'm sure i i remember just building a handful of ships not building you know enormous fleets so whatever choices you made were quite important and they stuck with you for, um, you know, the, quite a few turns onward. Whatever decision you made in in what you were going to build would affect what you were able to do next.
0: You know, I've been thinking a lot, actually, about both Ascendancy and Star Wars Rebellion. The very first time I was on... The uh, very first episode I was ever on, Three Moves Ahead, was a game about, uh, you know... Epic fails, I guess, was the uh, the topic that day, mm-hmm. and I believe I brought up both Ascendancy and Star Wars Rebellion as as games that were just complete disasters. And you know, in the intervening years, uh, first of all, like uh, you know, I've reviewed a lot more games since then, and my definition of what constitutes a disaster has changed quite a bit. Okay, uh, <laughs> nothing nothing educates you in what is truly a bad game uh, faster than reviewing a ton of them. Looking back on those games, I, I feel like ascendancy really where where people turned on it, where I turned on it, was there was this moment you realized the AI really did not know how to play it effectively. Uh, that it was very easy to sort of optimize your path through the game and just sort of steamroll through, and it didn't matter uh, pretty much what the game settings were. You were you know you were good to go. Uh, that was very frustrating. Uh, that was a major disappointment to realize that sort of it had all been smoke and mirrors all along. Uh, and Star Wars Rebellion. Uh, actually I think was just so different from what I expected that and it was so slow paced that I initially just kind of had this uh horrified reaction where it was like, No, this is you know, this doesn't look like a Star Wars game, right? It doesn't have uh you know the glorious space battles. The the tactical space battles are were, were actually these very sort of crude things, uh, you know, with with two D sprites sort of uh, you know, sailing slowly toward each other and doing battle. Uh but, you know, looking back on back on both of these games, I think Ascendancy uh, where Where I underestimated ascendancy is that ascendancy did a very good job, I think, of sort of making space feel um, like it did have geography. Uh, do you remember it had that sort of three d uh, rotatable galaxy yes uh, that you could look at, which is very cool. and i still have, I don't still don't see that emulated very often. Um, you know, where where it wasn't just some sort of 2D map where there's just nodes in space that we call planets. Ascendancy had these weird sort of tangled up, um, you know, space lanes. And some of them were, you know, easy to travel through. Some were very difficult. Some were basically locked off. They were like a wormhole that, you know, you knew was there, but you had no idea, you know, when you'd be able to travel through it, where it would go, uh, what would be on the other side. And so there were actually a number of things that did very well to sort of make it make it feel like, Oh, like expanding, you know, through space and, you know, running an empire in space feels a little bit different. It it, it did feel now like uh, the universe had more character than I'm used to finding in most 4X games. There was this sense of, uh, you know, astral terrain.
1: It certainly had more of a three-dimensional element to it. I think I remember even within a system itself, trundling my ships around. Um, yeah. I, I could be conflating ideas here. No, but you, No, it did. Uh, you know from planet to planet even one at a time and to, to not change the topic too much but but something else something different I felt it also did very well was it gave a real sense of asymmetry and alienness to the races everyone was very different uh when you first, some of them were some of them were profoundly weird yeah which is how science fiction really should be and it's Almost the opposite of the archetypes of Master of Orion, where, like I say, you have space bears and space robots and everything's very cartoonish. But there's an enormous potential for that kind of weirdness, for interesting asymmetry, for interesting variety in Space 4X games. And I don't know if that's fully been exploited yet. You know, we, we could even be looking at different victory conditions for different races. And I'm sure board games are doing this better at the moment uh, than, than computer games, computer and video games are.
0: Yeah. Are, are there other um, examples you give? Like, you know, are there, are there great, like, Space 4X games, uh, you know, in the board game universe that sort of address this stuff, uh, you know, from a different angle?
1: Well, I don't know if I've played enough of them yet. Space Forex games are something I would like to play a lot more of. I haven't yet touched on Eclipse, for example. I have played Twilight Imperium quite right. a bit. Uh, Twilight Imperium is uh, something... Well, even if, if you've played the game once or twice, you've already sunk many, many hours into it. But, um, I mean, I think there's burning suns out there. Uh, right. There's one or two others worth investigating. There's, I think there's even one actually called 4X, which is fairly new. But uh, Twilight Imperium offers you a couple of different ways to win the game, for example, and the idea that you could be racing against other people who have actually their own c- criteria for what they want to do to win, I find very interesting. I- I haven't sensed that so much in Space 4X games. Again, Endless Space tries to do it by giving you a couple of different ways to win in the way that civilization gives you diplomatic victories or science victories, but I don't know. I don't know if they articulate them really particularly well. And I feel like it's a a hole that is still there. That if we're going to have the potential for asymmetrical races, asymmetrical abilities, we could have very asymmetrical victory condition. we could have a lot of different ways of playing and yet i don't know again i, I think we're still playing roughly the same games we were playing 15 or 20 years ago and, and what our objectives are and what kind of things we expect to do and i find that a little bit sad a bit disappointing
0: yeah and i think it's telling that like you know one of the most competent uh entries in the genre uh certainly uh, you know, has to be uh, galactic civilizations too, uh, from from Stardock, and I think one of the reasons that it sort of ha- enjoys a really good reputation uh, and, and is uh, sort of a standout in this area is because it's you know really cribbing quite successfully in a lot of ways from Civilization. Uh, you know, and, and I, you know, and and plus eventually the, you know, with, with later patches and expansions, uh, you know, the, the AI got quite good, uh, in, in galactic civilizations, uh, but I, I definitely, I, I, definitely, when I, when I go back and play that, uh, usually my reaction is, yes, this is, you know, this is pretty nice, but at the same time, I think I'd much rather be playing civilization in that case.
1: Why would you say that is?
0: Uh, well, I mean, you know, it's, it's probably obvious by now, but I, I, I think I, I find the theme of, uh, of, of space empires uh, deeply uninteresting at this point. Uh, you know, and p- partly it's like almost a conditioned response, right? Where, uh, you know, from the, from the very first, the moment I start researching, uh, you know, technologies that are basically just better lasers, better engines, bigger ship chassis, uh, stuff like that. The, the moment you know it all happens, it just feels like I, I've been been here, done this. And what's strange is I know I've I've done that a million times in Civ, right? I've been I've been playing the same Civ game, uh, in in some ways, uh, you know, for you know over twenty years. But the difference is. But the, but the difference is you know uh, there I think the de- the design over these different generations has changed appreciably. Civilization four is vastly different from two, and five is uh, you know a completely different beast from either of them, and so I, I tend to find that a little more interesting. And I I guess I I like the. I like the character of the world a little bit more. I find it more interesting to be running my explorers out and, you know, you have that moment where you sort of break through uh, you know, a ridge, a line of hills and sort of discover a river valley. And you think, oh my god, a city will do so well here. And it's a small thing, right? But the excitement you get over, over ground, over terrain, and then the fierce competition you find yourself in for that ground feels very different. Like, you know, I if I will I, I understand why I, I just I will be enraged if someone plants a city uh, you know, the turn before my settler gets to gets to the position and blocks me out of a fertile uh, area. I'll just I'm furious. It you know, I, I want that person dead. I want that I want that player dead. Uh but I feel nothing like that when, you know, someone's colony ship reaches node, you know, you know node number twenty three uh you know a turn before i get there i'm like okay i guess they don't capture that circle uh and and i think that's 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 a major that's that's a major part of it and there is this there is this awareness that in your typical space forks game really like after that land rush uh you know there's there's often not that much to do beyond administration
1: yeah a lot of uh consolidation um well, yeah, we, I guess we've returned to that point again. I was about to say as well, do you not find the metagaming elements in something like Civilization a lot more interesting as well? You're more invested in discovering new technologies so that you can change your government, for example, so that you can play with your economy. You're not just um, exploring and fighting and seizing territory. You are very much reinvigorating your economy and you're internally changing a lot and i don't feel that so much in Forex games uh sorry space Forex games i mean it feels like i'm i'm sort of acting outward and i'm projecting myself but i don't feel like um you know I've discovered... you feel like your empire is a hollow shell almost yeah and this leads me on to a point i wanted to make about a different themed point i wanted to make is obviously the earth itself and history can be a theme for us. We do have famous science fiction stories or franchises or whatever that could be a setting for a good space forex game. We've had yeah. um i think it's called Rise of the Federation or Birth of the Federation which is the Star Trek one which was never all that good. And we've had the Star Wars one and i don't know i have no idea what the status of the Babylon 5 franchises right now but you know there is potential there to possibly do something really interesting and abstract and bizarre but surely if we seize one of those licenses we could build a really thematic game from that that could be 4x themed i mean star trek is almost 4x the tv series
0: so I think there's something interesting that you bring up, Babylon Five. Oh, man, I wish we I wish we had Rowan Kaiser around ah, uh, yes. to talk to. He's doing a uh, he's doing a rewatch on the AV Club of Babylon Five, and uh, he'd certainly have a lot to say about this. And I'm actually an avowed Babylon Five hater, uh, so I'm going to proceed with caution here and know that I speak somewhat in ignorance. <laughs> okay. uh, much less so in, in the case of Star Trek. But both these both these universes, I think, are really interesting because I would argue they both start. Uh, they're both kind of crap at the start. They're really not. They're really not good. Uh, sci-fi universes. Uh, you know. Okay. W- when when they sort of set out, and it actually takes them a long time, uh, relatively, to sort of find their feet. I, I think if you look, there's there's a lot of cool stuff in the um, the original series, but you know if, if you look at the if you look at the politics uh, of that universe, they're very simple, right? Like the Klingons are sort of just. I mean, basically, they're evil space Russians. Uh, you know, sort of brooding, threatening. While your while your good, you know, Western coalition is there, uh, just trying to you know fight for the freedom of the galaxy. And there's just there's just this you know there there's this there's the sense of the universe being a place of nothing but kind of uh, shallow archetypes. Um, and certainly Babylon five, I think sort of started in a similar place of, uh, who are all these different alien races? Uh, you know, why do I care about their politics? Uh, okay. So these are kind of the space, uh, you know, Elvish kind of people, uh, here are the, you know, humans that, you know, people are sort of wary of and, Oh, look, it's, you know, weird. Um, You know, corrupt uh, European, old old Europe, uh, you know, style diplomats. Uh, You know, all this stuff seems very very sort of borrowed. uh, You know, not terribly interesting. But in both the in cases of both these universes, you know, they eventually get to a point where they become deeply interesting. They sort of complicate their own fiction enough uh, that you sort of start getting really invested in what's going on. By by you know by by the time of uh, you know the the next generation. Uh, you know, you start learning about the uh, you know Cardassian domination of the Bajorans and what what's become of the Bajorans since they fled their world and what life as a refugee is doing to that group. Uh, and eventually, you know, eventually, it just it takes a while before you eventually just hit this point where there's where there's certain amount of buy-in and you the storytellers have enough uh, confidence and enough material to work with uh, that sort of their ideas have reached fruition. I kind of feel like with your average Forex game uh you're sort of most of them are sort of stuck back in that early stage where it's like, look we need other people in the galaxy so you go out there and who do you meet? Um, how about the space Japanese? Does that sound cool warrior culture kind of yeah great so here are your space Japanese and uh, I, I feel it's very hard for most of these games to get beyond that
1: well I mean that's interesting immediately um, and I'm already throwing other franchises around in my head as well and I'll mention one in a moment but Do you think it's not quite that they suit a 4X format, then? That they might suit a slightly different format of sci-fi empire control? Maybe not something that's so much about exploring and expansion, but something that's more introspective or something more about management? Or are we going off on a totally different track here?
0: That's kind of what I've been turning over in my head, too. And uh, Well, hang on. So you, you said a franchise occurred to you.
1: Uh, Well, Warhammer is also Uh uh, based in space, Warhammer 40k, and it is full of, I think, quite starkly different alien races. I think it's incredibly comic book and cheesy, but I wonder if there is potential there for an interesting spin on a 4X game. Obviously, you could could do the standard thing where it could almost be a mod of another game where you have races with particular powers and different coloured ships and some of them are good at ground combat, and some are good at space combat. But if you add in the elements of corruption and the warp, and um, the ever-present risk of uh, revolt or um, heresy or inquisition—things like this—it becomes a little more three-dimensional, I suppose.
0: Oh God! I would, yeah, I would play the living hell out of a game where you're basically trying to control the imperium in the dark age
1: but it would have to have that introspective element it couldn't just be about uh you know as you say conquering another planet node and this is a great planet for plasma gases and it will give you plus four plasma gases it has to be very much about maybe it could have the europe universalist thing of sort of you're trying to expand your borders but at the same time manage your Bureaucracy, not in a boring way, but in a sort of keeping your advisors from killing each other, or from corrupting one another, or from researching things they shouldn't, or you know, very much trying to keep lids on everything that could go wrong.
0: Yeah, you know, I I think that's that's a great example of uh, stuff you could have happen. I think the idea, first of all, I'm always a big fan of. Throw like take control away from the player at times, and and perhaps the the general omniscience and omnipotence of your control over your empire in most of these uh, force games is really frustrating. I I would find it really fascinating. I would find it fascinating if you were you know playing an imperial sector governor or something, and oh good, the Inquisition just showed up on one of your major industrial worlds and is currently purging it, and so at that point you know what you basically got is a you know, genocide unfolding on your doorstep. Uh, that you know, what are you going to do about it? Uh, these are, you know, these are these are sort of dilemmas that would be, you know,
1: fascinated to contend with. Or what can you do about it, even? I mean, you're, exactly. you're talking about the sort of um, all-seeing eye of the 4X player, where you give an order and the order happens. Uh, you click on something. You have complete information all the time.
0: Right. Yeah. And if you, if you were if that was sort of taken away from you, like, yeah, if you had, like, planetary governors who possibly have been corrupted, fallen into heresy or something, where suddenly, you know, you might be giving orders, but perhaps not being carried out, or there's, you know, penalties being inflicted, or something is brewing and events going to happen to sort of overturn your game. Um, is there very and-
1: much at the moment around that, um, in 4X games, that gives a good example of that imperfect? imperfection or that sort of fog of war
0: no, and this is the part where I really wish uh, I'd, I'd I've played. I really wish I'd played Distant Worlds more recently, Cause what, because if you play Distant Worlds, uh, what Distant Worlds is really all about is what Troy calls uh, you know sort of virtual viceroy's. Uh, it is a sprawling 4x game. Like, uh, forget everything else we've talked about. This is a game um, with a, a, just an absurd degree of scale and complexity, and tons of things to manage. And it is by design completely unplayable uh, by one person uh, basically and perhaps if you're some sort of savant uh, savant like madman uh, you you could do it but really what you're supposed to do is administer your empire through a series of um, AI officers uh, who will be managing things like trade, colonies far beyond uh, just just saying auto governor uh, for for a colony. It really comes down to you will have uh, you know entire sector governors uh, recruiting their own uh, military to police the borders, and you're sort of giving them instructions about you know uh, what parameters they'll be operating in, uh, you know what they're allowed to do. And you are sort of dealing with the high level stuff, but then you can dive in and micromanage uh, where you feel is really important. Uh, but it's so it's just like it, just playing it, um, you know, is, is a huge challenge. I never completely got over the, the uh, learning curve. And as I understand it, a lot's changed since then. Uh, but I'm not sure it's added. Stuff like we were just talking about. Certainly, it's, it sounds like the ground would be fertile for that, right? Uh, but it, I'm not. I, I couldn't. I couldn't speak to it. Uh, you know, it, with with any degree of accuracy. Uh, so you know, that I sort of put up to the readers. I know we've got distant, distant worlds fans out there. Um, you know, I would love to know if distant worlds at least has has played a bit more with that stuff.
1: It would be interesting to see what people say. Obviously, you have. Whenever you take control away from the player, you have the problem that particularly in any kind of management game that can actually be quite frustrating and it can be very annoying to look at your plan of the world or your plan of the galaxy and suddenly a whole sector changes colour because it's rebelled and you had no way of knowing that was going to happen because you didn't have enough information to hand. So there's clearly a real art in balancing what you tell people and what you hint at and what you suddenly surprise them with.
0: Yeah and uh, yeah certainly it's it's rarely ever fun to just have something randomly happen uh, but it becomes very cool right if you know maybe you could have detected that if you would invested more in uh, you know you know internal security, intelligence, spies uh, you know or if you'd uh, paid a little more attention to sort of the indoctrination of your people. Uh, it, it's cool to when that happens know that maybe there's a system you didn't employ enough or there's something that you just missed. Uh, that would have given you a warning. But you brought up you brought up, uh, Europa Universalis a moment ago, uh, and I wanted to return to that really quickly. Uh, we're embargoed from talking about EU4 uh, you know, in any detail uh, until later this month, but there was one thing it, it, we, we've seen this in other EU games so we're not really giving anything away, but EU4 really extensively uses uh, national missions uh, sort of giving you goals and encouraging you uh, it doesn't force you into a track, but certainly it encourages you to sort of wh- whoever you're playing, here are some Directions you can go uh, with what your power can do. And I find that gives things so much more character. Uh, it gives the politics so much more character. Forex games are all this sort of blank slate, they're this really sort of mechanical exercise. You start from one point in space, you ink blot outwards. And then eventually you bump into other people's ink blots, and then you blast the shit out of each other. That's basically what the Space Forex is. That's what they're making games for. And what I think gets missed is, you know, kind of what's so fascinating about history, and what becomes fascinating about those sci fi universes we were talking about a moment ago, is that they aren't blank slates. It's, it's, you know, when they're blank slates, they're, they're not good at all. It's when you've got sort of an established setting uh, with sort of its own, uh, you know, both geography and then its own political landscape as well, uh, you know, where there's going to be points of friction and there's, you know... You know, contest between races. Uh, there's different goals they might have, different you know value systems, governments, all that sort of thing. Uh, then it gets really interesting. Then you know, then you're sort of in territory that I find fascinating as someone who plays strategy games. I think you know, in many ways, space forex games are so reductive. They're trying to be so open-ended uh, and just about you know, sort of the race for the stars. Uh, that that's that's where they fall apart for me. You know, you asked earlier why you know why do I generally find these you know deeply interesting I suppose that's really that's that's really it more than anything maybe at that point you're not dealing, dealing with a 4x but I don't know that's really true because I play you know Europe Universalis and even though the map isn't completely open it's still kind of
1: a 4x it's still kind of a sandbox game Crusader Kings 2 is uh, in the same way still kind of a sandbox game it's a a sandbox with certain borders on it certain limitations certain starting states but there's a lot of potential there for you to turn the game into what you want to turn it into, and I think it's very interesting that you mention national missions or national objectives because that can add a real sense of narrative or personalization. It can be very context sensitive, and in a 4X game, even at the very start, you could have a system that says to you, uh, you know, at the moment, the the people of your race or the people of your planet. Are interested in this, maybe you should uh, research a particular technology or research a technology that other people have to catch up or you should colonize a particular world that's nearby because in reaction to something else that's happened in the game, it's now become more of a, a national priority for you. I think there's potential there to pull out context-sensitive objectives with Objectives with a kind of an awareness of what is happening around you, given to you as if the the civilization you're managing is looking at things and giving you hints, giving you a direction, giving you their own wants, which you can acquiesce to or not as you see fit.
0: That's something else that I definitely felt like. Distant Worlds, uh, not Distant Worlds, uh, Endless Space and Star Drive uh, fell down on a bit. I actually start to feel... uh, kind of alienated from my empire from what from the race I'm controlling if i start to get the sense that it's a you know it, it's a it's an empire without wants without desires and a lot of 4x games i sort of get the sense like you're building colony improvements you're you know here's a new you know gene research lab here's a new cloning center here's uh you know a orbital orbital missile base or something and yeah you're putting all this stuff down but it has like there is no there is no sense that there's anyone who lives in this world that you're responding to any need or drive of government or some sort of like you know overriding directive you're just you're just a color on the map and you're just you know doing these really utilitarian tasks and you know you asked earlier you know why you know why do I um you know keep coming back to Civ in some ways yeah, it's partly the geography, but also I, I do kind—I of, I do kind of find it kind of interesting. Uh, and Alpha Centauri is like this as well, you know, in, in that it might not feel necessarily like you're responding to, you know, a a like the demands of politics for instance not like you're having elections and you suddenly have to uh you know provide uh you know a national health service or something like that but it does sort of have a feel like you have to provide things for your citizens or they'll simply get pissed off or they'll get unhealthy or they'll die or you know there's there's some needs you respond to and you know I kind of feel like that is badly lacking from a lot of 4Xs, where it's just kind of like all, like, if your people exist, the only thing they exist to do is, uh, you know...
1: Build things. A hard, yeah, build things. Build things, make more things. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I'm i tempted to say again that's a, a kind of a theme-related thing, because civilization being a game based upon our own history, our own history is full of examples of cultures subsumed or conquered by other cultures, or rebelling, or integrating and things like that are elements of the game um there is the potential and through the series there's been the potential for things like revolts civil wars um different ethnicities mixing or not mixing necessarily very well and it's an element of managing your civilization is trying to integrate things trying to keep people happy in something like say endless space i think it's just more of a case of put down a happiness thing that generates an amount yes. of happiness. I think there's an element in Endless Space if you try and conquer a place and you have to wait for the culture to sort of transfer over, which is basically a progress bar ticking along. But again, that doesn't have so much of a the theme to it, whereas we look through our own history and we do have the theme of, you know, different cultures and people's own individual wants and religions and whatnot, which are, I suppose, meta y elements that appear in the Civ games.
0: Yeah, and the other thing that I think is going on in games like that is we have these sort of desires to respond to, but then there's also this desire to uh, construct something that means something. Um, you know, which, you know, that's the wonders in civilization, uh, the secret projects in uh, Elf Centauri. And that's another thing that I think is, uh, you know, really lacking in a lot of Space Forex is they are very many of them are very bad about providing you with that, you know, the thing that you know, that thing that drives you on to keep playing a game of Civ or Alpha Centauri. That that sense that, you know, oh my god, I you know, I really did something here. I built this, you know, look at look at this city, look at this glorious city I made, the center of culture or science or you know um, literacy, you know, where you will see, you know, partly it's just you know a matter the a little video pops up, but I think stuff like that matters a little bit. This idea that, you know, there's utilitarian buildings you put down, but occasionally, that's not what we're just about. Sometimes we're about doing something amazing.
1: And it's funny that you mention that, because there's only really one example of that in Master of Orion, but instantly I'm I'm thinking about Master of Orion again, and I'm thinking how you did actually have Orion itself as a planet somewhere Mm -hmm. in the galaxy, and it was defended by an incredibly powerful creature, but that gave you something thematic to aim towards if you wanted to, which you didn't have to, but you could try and research enough technology and build a powerful enough fleet that you could actually take on the Guardian of Orion. And your reward of defeating the Guardian and colonizing Orion would be a whole host of cool technology. Um, and that's a you know a thematic thing that fits in with the Master of Orion universe. And there's not that much like that in other Space 4X games, I don't think. I, Again, I think there kind of is, in Twilight Imperium, the board game, there is a capital planet at the very centre of the board, which everyone is fighting over because they can very obviously see it's the capital and it has tremendous resources for them. And it gives you, although the rest of the galaxy is randomly generated, it gives you a very obvious objective with very apparent meaning, which I think is significant.
0: Yeah, you know, this is, I think, one reason why one of my favorite Space 4X games isn't really a proper 4X, and that would be um, Sins of a Solar Empire. Ah. Uh, because all of these limitations we've been talking about, uh, when you put in the context of an RTS, uh, it's just kind of necessary simplification, right? And, you know, that that's a case where I don't necessarily expect my civ- my citizens to have, you know, wants and desires. I don't necessarily expect... To have an absolute ton of lore, because ultimately it really it's it's an RTS. It really is about you know straight from the shoulder um, conflict. Uh, you sort of ram into each other and then you fight over uh, territory. And I, I think they they actually do quite a good job of creating uh, hints at a backstory, an interesting universe. But you know it's it's a game that you know the. You know its adherences to forex, space forex convention are actually kind of savvy uh, because they they work quite well uh, in another genre.
1: Well, there's elements of um, diplomacy and economy in there, aren't there? Even if they're not things there, that you rely on a great deal, there
0: are actually there's you know quite a few really cool things they do with the economy. You know, like you have the global market uh, that people are buying and selling goods onto. You have uh, the pirates. Uh, to contend with so yeah there's definitely there's definitely some cool things they're they're up to um, up up to there
1: and again that's um, almost in that context that's almost metagamery again if you if you imagine it just as an rts game you can play in a certain way but as you engage with those elements it feels like you're and i keep saying metagame i don't know if i'm always using that in quite the right way but it feels like you're altering something fundamental in the game which I think is is more interesting than many of the 4x games that we were talking about earlier, where sort of you have a particular process you go through, but you can't change anything about that process.
0: Yeah, you end up playing once you've played the game a couple times to figure out how the systems work. It becomes almost very prescriptive.
1: It's it's not a great example, and um, I don't know. I, I wonder if we should have talked about it a bit more. But I've always been a bit of a fan of Master of Magic, and that has some. Because it has a fantasy theme, and there, there are so many spells in this game which you, as a, as a controller of your civilization, you're a great wizard and you cast all kinds of spells, as well as research more spells or develop your cities. There are elements in there that can kind of change the world that you're playing in. So you don't just have to go and fight people. You can... Um, For example, there's a spell that actually changes the terrain, which I think is an interesting idea for a spell in a 4X, or an interesting idea for an element, sort of a manual terraforming thing. Um, Master uh, Master of Magic had all kinds of horrid bugs with it, and I don't think it was a game that ever reached its potential, but it felt like a game that was constantly trying to move the goalposts for you and what you could expect from things, and throw in elements where you could... Alter the game in unexpected ways. And I just, I feel Forexes have, going back again to what we were saying before, Forexes have become kind of formulaic and we don't expect the fundamental game itself to change very much. What we're doing at the start of the game is kind of similar to what we're doing at the end.
0: Yeah, and I definitely feel like, you know, a part of that is just, it's at this point where you've got developers sort of setting out to meet the expectations of the genre, which we just spent the last hour talking about, you know, why the genre is often really unsatisfying. Once you scratch, you know, scratch the surface a little, there's, there's very few games that really manage to do something, uh, you know, terribly interesting with it to, to really give you an idea of why you should even be playing or building a space empire beyond the fact that that's just what you're supposed to do. Um, you know, I, I spent a lot of times on uh, international uh, flights uh, lately. And, you know, midway through, right, they, they bring the SkyMall cart through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and suddenly it's, it's weird. People bring the SkyMall cart through. And immediately you see people, like, sort of diving uh, into their seat back uh, pocket and sort of grabbing the SkyMall catalog. Like, oh, man, I better choose what needless tchotchke uh, I'm going to buy before this cart goes, goes past. I've because, never well, been one of those
1: people, I have to say.
0: I've never. Neither am I, and I'm just sort of baffled every time it. I was. I was baffled every time it happened, where you'd have you know the Sky Mall cart coming through, and people were getting really like, like goddamn. I need to. I need to check out and make sure I do not any, miss any sweet deals in the Sky Mall ca- catalog. And that's kind of how I feel about, like, the way a lot of these Space 4 show up. Like, it just shows up, and it's like, hey, you want to build some fleets and conquer the galaxy? Well, hop aboard, because uh, here we go. And, it, you know, it, it's kind of like Pavlovian, oh, man, uh, the Space 4X, like, I, I got to conquer the galaxy and build spaceships. And uh, where I sort of, where I run aground is, you know, well, yeah, it's here, but why this galaxy? Why these spaceships? Why why these races? Um, you know, and unless the game can sort of answer me that question, I'm probably just likely to, you know, play it a bit and then return to Alpha Centauri, uh, you know, since the Solar Empire, Civ.
1: And I think that's a pretty okay reaction, to be honest. I feel a little sad saying that, but and I feel a little sad saying what I'm going to say next, but I think we've um, been... To a small degree, taken as schmucks for the last couple of decades, where a formula has been introduced, the people who pioneered the forum, uh, people who pioneered the formula, did a pretty good job of kicking it off, of getting the ball rolling. And since then, most designers have been coasting, really, and they've been selling the same stuff or very similar stuff back to us, year after year. I'm sorry, that sounds terribly negative, but that's kind of how uninspired I feel.
0: Yeah, you know, it does, it sounds really brutal, I'll be honest, like, that sounds uh, like an awful thing to say, but at the same time, when I think, you know, and this is sort of what I realized when I was reviewing Star Drive, when I thought back over the past several years, I was kind of, I was really hard-pressed to name a single one of these games that I really, really loved, uh, that had really stayed with me in a meaningful way, and, you know, I know there are people who like the genre, and, you know, that's fine. But I, I kind of feel like so many of them are cribbing from the same design with the same limitations that, you know, I, when a new one shows up, I, I, I really think you got to do a better job of justifying your existence, justifying, you know, what this is about, why we should care. And we just, we have not seen much of that. You're right. You know, for, for 15 years.
1: Um, I don't think so. I, when, when Endless Space came along, I have to admit, I did enjoy it and I liked uh many of the advances it made to the interface and how it was i found it a fairly easy game to play and to understand i think it had limited potential though and i think it still had the same problem that most forex games had which is the end game was not that exciting there was a lot to see along the way but the journey was more interesting than the destination i suppose yeah
0: and you know i i think you, you, you know you can't overlook the fact that there is this strong nostalgia uh, for these games uh, you know that existed in the early '90s. Where I mean, if you look on the on the Kickstarter Four Star Drive, uh, there's a lot of mention of um, you know Master of Orion in there, and you know it's it's this it's sort of the classic problem of of people wanting sort of what they've what they've already experienced and. You know, there you know, there's there's a point where, you know, having fans of a genre, uh, you know, that's great and that means the genre exists and there's a market for it and people continue making games for games in that genre. But I think you run to real you, you run to real problems when uh you know, the the genre expectations are so codified, uh that you just don't see a ton of uh you know, a ton of variety in it.
1: There's a sort of a parallel as well that I'd like to touch on briefly, which is, I think Master of Orion came out in 1993. That is also the time that the first XCOM game came out. And for about 20 or 19 years, we had people repeatedly wanting to revisit the first XCOM and deservedly so. It was hailed as a classic for you know for all that time it's remained an incredibly playable game for all that time it's still a game that though it's aged and it looks incredibly pixelated the core systems in it are actually still very cool and really interesting it took uh, for Axis 19 years to come up with a real proper sequel to XCOM I think or a good reinterpretation of it and during that time well, I say 19 years like they were doing it the whole time, but it took us 19 years to get a worthy sequel. And during that time, while Foraxis were developing the new XCOM, they did go back to the drawing board because at one point they were saying, we can't just make the same game again. This is ridiculous. We have to do something different with it. And I think there's a lesson to be learnt there for, for other people sort of spinning their nostalgia around for people looking to revisit that old success that old feeling they have to come up with something new they have to come up with something that pays tribute without simply echoing or photocopying the old game and making it slightly shinier i don't know i just i think there's a real lesson to be learned there
0: no i would i would definitely agree uh, that also seems like a good place to leave the discussion uh, before we get too morose and uh, you hate us for just <laughs> bagging on uh, some so of your favorite sorry. games. I know, some. it's like, you know, there's a bunch of people like listening to this like, you bastards, how dare you speak that way about Because we basically, we basically, uh, you know, bashed all of them
1: at this point. Uh, We're coming from a position of love, but it's a position of tough love.
0: Yeah, and you know, I mean, to be fair, uh, you know, something to bear in mind. Uh, A lot of these games individually, you know, if you encounter them individually, you'd be fine with them. Uh, Star Drive, you know, countered them individually, kind of an impressive indie effort. I'm surprised they were able to do as much as they did, uh, you know, in sort of what I understand was kind of a shoestring budget. It's surprisingly stable and uh, good. But the problem is, you know, it's one of those things where if you look at, you know, you you take the games individually, and yeah, they're all sort of, you know, fine works within the genre. When you look at the state of the genre and put them all next to each other, uh, it's a bit unappetizing, I'd say.
1: It's a lack of diversity. It's a lack of different options. It's very much, um, it's not even flavors of ice cream. It's, do you want your ice cream in this kind of bowl or that kind of bowl? What kind of bowl do you prefer? I think there's a valid choice between something like star drive and master of Orion and endless space, but the the choice between them is relatively small. It might be valid, but it's, there's so much overlap in the Venn diagram of these games.
0: So we'll leave it there for tonight. Um, My thanks to uh, Paul for closing out his weekend uh, by spending the last (laughs) uh, hour or so uh, bagging on every Space 4X uh, known to man.
1: I'm going to be so hated by next week, but thank you for having (laughs) me. Pretty much. It was
0: was all Paul's fault, people. He he encouraged me to uh, do this and speak this way. Uh, Anyway, Uh, I apologize for uh, missing our our episode last week. Uh, We have a solid lineup for the coming weeks, but for a variety of reasons. Uh, it's going to be overwhelmingly dominated by Paradox-related topics, uh, just for you know a number of reasons. i want I'll want to be talking about the new Victoria expansion, uh, EU four, when we're able to talk about that. Uh, possibly get an interview episode in with some people from Paradox. Uh, so all the stuff that's all that stuff is in the works, uh, but it might mean that it looks like our show. ...basically became sponsored by Paradox, uh, you know, for the month of uh, May and early June. Uh, I want to assure you that's not the case, Uh, it's just the way the topics have shaken out lately. Uh, So anyway, if you like Paradox games, uh, you are in for a treat. If you don't like Paradox games, uh, well... Late June is looking pretty good for three moves ahead topics too, uh, so we'll welcome you back then. Uh, anyway, that does it for tonight's show. Uh, this has been three moves ahead. Uh, say good night, Paul. Good night, Paul. Oh, you you can't you can't let it lie, can you? You're awful, Paul. Did, You're awful. You
1: told me you just told me what to do. I did it.
0: Good night, everybody.